Hello Church, we are continuing our series on the book of Galatians. Today we're picking up where Ian left off at the end of chapter 3 in the beginning of chapter 4. This short passage, verses 1-7, through seven, is about slavery versus sonship. Paul is calling the church in Galatia out of enslavement under the law with its rules and regulations into the freedom and privilege of being a loved, chosen, adopted child of God. J.I. Packer argued that of all the gifts of grace, adoption is the highest. So do we understand God as our Father, enjoying all the benefits of being His beloved children? Are we living like sons or like slaves? First, let's look back at Galatians 3.26, where Paul said, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Ian pointed out last week, some translations say children of God here. But Paul's use of the word sons is important because in Paul's day, women did not have the same rights as men. But Paul is telling them through faith, men and women alike have the full privileges and rights of sons as God's children. He continues in verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul is referring there to God's promise to Abraham to make him a great nation. Because of our faith in Christ, all believers are included in that family line. All followers of Christ are the offspring of Abraham, Gentiles and Jews alike. Then Paul goes on to say in chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. This verse goes back to Paul's metaphor in chapter 3 of the law being like a guardian or a tutor for children. Although Roman children did not have the freedom ours enjoy today, they likely had strict upbringings being told where to be and what to do. So Paul is saying here, an heir or a child set to receive an inheritance is no different than a slave before he comes of age. Even though he will one day own everything, as a child, he must obey the orders of his guardian, just like a servant. In verse 3, Paul says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, before Christ came, we were like those children, like slaves being told what to do by the law. But slave might seem like a strong word to you. Surely children even then were not treated like slaves. Now slavery in the Roman era was not as harsh as the brutal slavery we know in the history of our country. The Greek word for slave is often translated servant in other passages of the Bible. But Paul's use of the word slavery here is intentional. You see, Paul is about to take us on a journey in this brief passage, way back to the early days of the nation of Israel. N.T. Wright's commentary suggests that for those Christians, those early Christians in the Church of Galatia, Paul's use of the word slavery would immediately remind them of the exodus of God's people from captivity in Egypt. So let me just remind us all of this story. Abraham fathered Isaac, who fathered Jacob, whose family fled to Egypt because of famine. Jacob's family grew, and 400 years later, they were the nation of Israel. 
the Pharaoh of Egypt became afraid of their numbers, so he oppressed them through hard forced labor. But God raised up a leader, Moses, through whom he promises to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. In Exodus 6.6, God says to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And so God unleashes wrath upon the Pharaoh and the whole nation of Egypt through ten plagues, until finally the Pharaoh relinquishes, and God delivers the people out of Egypt where they can worship him freely. Now let's jump back to the New Testament where we left off in Galatians and we'll see how the two storylines tie together. In chapter four, verses four and five, Paul gives us the whole of the gospel in one beautiful sentence. Are you ready for it? Here it is. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Wow, I love this verse. It's so packed full of theology. Someone could probably write an entire book on just this verse. So let's break it down a little bit. When the fullness of time had come. Other versions say when the right time had come or when the set time had come. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near. Paul is talking about the triune God's plan from the foundation of the world when he, as Galatians 4.4 goes on to say, sent forth his son. God sent his one and only son into the world in the man of Jesus. The emphasis here is on God the Father sending his son. Born of woman, Paul is underscoring that Jesus was human, fully God, but fully human under the same restrictions of his physical body that all humans are. Then Paul says Jesus was born under the law. Jesus, born to a Jewish family, was held to the old covenant, bound to obey the Torah, the law. And he did so perfectly. And God did this to redeem those under the law. How? Through the life, death, and resurrection of his son Jesus. Paul's use of the word redeem here is another clue to point his readers back to the story of the Exodus. The word redemption has several meanings in the Old Testament and was used in the law in reference to purchasing or buying back persons or property with some sort of payment. But the greatest redemption in Israelite history was God's rescue of the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. It was a story of redemption they would sing about and pass on generation to generation, a story that's retold throughout the Old Testament, the prophets and the leaders reminding their nation of God's great rescue, the great redemption. But here is the big finale to Paul's statement in verses four and five. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent Jesus to fulfill the law by obeying it perfectly, to conquer our sin on the cross, and was resurrected to redeem us. He purchased us out of our slavery to sin, so that we might become his sons. We are not only cleansed of all our sin, pure and blameless before him, 
but we are now called a child of God with all the privileges and rights of his son one day to inherit eternity. That is good news. Paul is trying to draw a comparison for his readers, a visual in their minds of the law versus the gospel as slavery versus sonship. The Israelites were enslaved under the harsh rule of the Egyptians. You, Paul is saying, the Jews of the church of Galatia were enslaved under the weighty demands of the law. The Israelites were redeemed out of slavery by God. You were redeemed from the law through Jesus. Israel was claimed as God's chosen nation. You are God's chosen sons. This is a wake-up call. Paul is saying, this is the second exodus. We left our chains. Jesus came to bring us into freedom. Don't go back to slavery. You are not a slave, but a son. But what does it mean to be adopted by God to be his child? Well, to get the full picture, I think we need to understand what adoption was in the Roman world during Paul's writing, because it was very different than it is in our modern day society. I did some research and came across a scholarly article published in a journal called Biblical Theology Bulletin. In the article, the author made a case that the primary purpose of adoption in those days was to designate an heir. If a husband and wife, usually upper class, could not have children of their own, they would adopt to pass on their inheritance and their family name. But they did not need to adopt a child. In fact, it was quite common for an adult man to be adopted as heir. If a family had several sons, they might give one an adoption to give their remaining sons a greater share of the inheritance, while also forming connections with well-to-do families. It was also most common for a family to adopt from their own relatives or close friends. Adopting a stranger was quite rare and would even be considered suspect or thrown out as illegitimate. Slaves were adopted for a purpose as well. When they were freed, the adopter would assume all property owned by the freed man, but they would not have the same rights or status as natural born sons. What's more, it would be extremely rare, even nonsensical, to adopt a child when a legitimate heir was in the family. So why am I telling you all of this? Because Paul saying that God has chosen to adopt us as his own sons would have been radical to the Galatians. Romans did not adopt strangers, but scripture tells us while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. Roman slaves were adopted for their property and not treated like real members of the family, but out of our slavery, God adopted us and gave us the same status and rights as his own son. And unheard of in the Roman world, God adopted us in the presence of a perfect, legitimate heir, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but sacrificed his own son so that we might become his. The context is needed here so we can see just how over the top this concept of our adoption was to the early church. Paul's message is this. This is merciful, sacrificial, radical adoption propelled by the deep love of a gracious father. This is radical news for us too. Because as we know adoption, it does not merely describe the legal action of taking a child who is not your own into your own family. It is a commitment to love and care for that child for the rest of their life. 
J.I. Packer put it this way, throughout our life in this world, into all eternity beyond, he will constantly be showing us in one way or another more and more of his love and thereby increasing our love to him continually. The prospect before the adopted sons of God is an eternity of love. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You were chosen by God before you were born to be his child. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are cleared of our guilt, meaning we are fully accepted by God. When God looks at you and me, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of his son, his very own righteousness in you and me. It's what the Bible calls justification. We are justified or made completely righteous through our faith in Jesus. It's justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. I grew up in a faith tradition that had a tendency to focus more on justification than on adoption. Maybe this rings true for you. I was crystal clear that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that one day I'd go to heaven, but I wasn't quite sure what to do about this sinful behavior I still lived with. Or more often, I struggled with pride, thinking because I was a Christian, I was a good person, and tended to overlook some major sin areas in my life. Packer illustrates it as God as judge versus God as father. You see, with our justification, God is a merciful judge who, despite our guilt, has cleared all our crimes and declared us innocent, letting us go free. But the problem is, when we focus too much on the justification part, and miss out on the adoption part, we end up trying to be good, living in fear of the judge who at any time could lock us up forever. With adoption, God is a gracious father who is motivated by love, loving us unconditionally, faithfully leading us in obedience. Justification deals with our standing before the Lord. Adoption dictates our very identity. And like a good father, he disciplines for our good. Hebrews 12 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. As we walk with him, we trust him more and more, and we learn that his authority is right and good. We can obey what he calls us to do and follow where he leads because he is a father who knows best. Actually, the relationship we have with God is the same as that of Jesus. Tim Keller says, the astonishing bottom line of sonship is that God now treats us as if we have done everything Jesus has done. All of Christ's goodness on earth, all of his accomplishments on the cross over sin and death are now ours. The words God spoke over Jesus as he rose up from the water when he was baptized can be said over us too. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Paul is showing us this in the last few verses of this section in Galatians 4. Verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, as you may know, would be the word for Papa or Daddy in Aramaic. The people of the Church of Galatia did not speak Aramaic, 
so it would not be recognizable in their own language, but they would recognize it as the natural language of Jesus. This deeply personal name for God is used by Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying, asking his loving father, his daddy, to take this cup to find another way besides the cross. Jesus is sorrowful, crying out to God, as Paul puts it. Because we are his children, we have the spirit who calls out for the father like a child calling out for their daddy. We get to know the father like Jesus. We are his child, just like Jesus. And our good father has given us his own spirit to call out to him so that when we don't have the words or when we're lost, like a compass pointing us north, the Holy Spirit leads us back to where we belong. What a loving father we have to not only forgive us, call us his children, but to give us his own spirit to lead us and guide us and keep us. Paul's final verse here says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are no longer slaves, but sons. Are you living like a child of a perfectly loving father? Does that describe your relationship with him? Or are you living more like he's your slave master, trying to be good on your own? We are free, free from sin and shame and free from the rule of the law. But then what do we do about the law? I like what Packer says. While it is certainly true that justification frees one forever from the need to keep the law, or try to as the means of earning life, it is equally true that adoption lays on one the abiding obligation to keep the law as the means of pleasing one's newfound father. Law keeping is the family likeness of God's children. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness and God calls us to do likewise. Adoption puts law keeping on a new footing. As children of God, we acknowledge the law's authority as our rule for our lives because we know that this is what our father wants. If we sin, we confess our fault and ask our father's forgiveness on the basis of the family relationship. It's the difference between striving to do good and wanting to do good because we know that our loving father is good and his law is good for us. When we're living like slaves, obeying feels like a heavy burden. And then when we inevitably fail, we're overwhelmed by guilt and shame. When we're living like sons, it's a joy to walk with the father, learning from him, trusting his leading. It's not always easy. It can feel like death. It means dying to ourselves and our desires every day. But the spirit is our helper. Our father will see us through to the end. I've shared a bit of my personal testimony in the past, but there was a time when I was living like a slave. I was striving to be someone I thought I needed to be, to live up to some expectation I had for myself striving to earn my righteousness, to be worthy of God's love. But by his grace, God broke in and through his word, through reading the Bible, he reminded me just how great his love was for me, that I didn't need to carry that heavy burden, that he created me and loved me just as I am. Verses like Isaiah 43:1, fear not for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. Adoption means we forever have the love of God for us. 
forever we have fellowship, a personal relationship with a perfect father, a father who is faithful, who never leaves us, who comforts us and delights in us. This father does not shame us when we mess up or expect us to be perfect. He knows our hearts and our minds through and through. He doesn't want us to strive out of our own strength because he knows we're not capable. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough, but he is, and his grace is sufficient for all our failures, all our weakness. He is attentive and interested in you, his child. He longs to show you his affection and he loves you more than you could possibly know. I heard it like this once. Imagine someone came up to my little six-year-old daughter, Rosie, took her by the chin and said, your father is so disappointed in you. Nothing could be further from the truth, but that's what we believe when the enemy says it to us sometimes. If you find yourself in a place of striving, I want to encourage you to pray and ask the spirit to reveal God's love to you more fully. Reach out and ask someone to pray for you today. What a privilege we have to be called a child of God. How do we respond to this great gift we've been given? As his children, we're called to love and obey the Father. We're called to love our brothers and sisters, our fellow believers in Christ. That's why the church is so important. We need relationship with other followers of Christ so that we can spur one another on to grow in the family likeness, becoming more and more like Jesus as we allow the Spirit to work in our hearts. We are a family. We need one another. And we're called to grow this family of God by making disciples and by loving like our Father does. You could say we're in the family business. So let's forgive as we've been forgiven. Let's love as we've been loved. Let's accept as we've been accepted. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God.